What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is brought to you proudly by Ease, E-A-Z-E. Ease.com, promo code HAM, and EaseWellness.com, promo code HAM. The key is promo code HAM, $20 off your first purchase, over $50 free delivery. So now to Tyler Dunn. And we watched the 49ers press conference on Friday. Uh, as we're recording this on Friday, we watched the press conference earlier of John Lynch and uh, Kyle Shanahan address what was the article from Tyler. And then it also, they kind of, in a roundabout way, addressed the article from, um, uh, uh, what's the, Matt, Matt Miller. Matt Miller, thank you. I almost said Matt Moore. From Bleacher Report as well, citing a former 49ers scout um, as probably, I would say, is it fair to say, the main source um, describing the discontent and the disenfranchised feeling among what he described as Niners scouts that feel like their opinions aren't valued in the building um, and that Kyle and John ignore them, don't care what they have to say. They just make they just pick who they want to pick. Um, a couple things. I, I thought it was interesting that one thing, John, they, they address the things. I think one thing great with Kyle is he'll always, you can ask him this stuff, and he just addresses it. It's pretty can't like he's not beating around the bush. No. And, like did you did you see Belichick's rant on every year's different? No. Well, use the word different. Like he just he doesn't give you anything. He's the he's the polar opposite to me of Kyle. Like Kyle, what's Jimmy's status? Kyle then will just tell you he's good to go or he's healthy or he's fifty percent. Yeah. Like Bill Bill will just look at you like, uh, yeah, I said it. You know. Uh. So what did you think? I, obviously. Uh, now we, the, the article's been out for a day or two, but hearing Kyle and John talk, I thought it was interesting. First of all, they both were adamant that they uh, that everything's good there, um, and they both John made the point and Kyle made the point. Hey, ultimately, like the way this building is structured, we make the decisions, so we're not going to apologize if anybody's feeling is hurt. But I love Kyle when he said, I, "I've been in a lot of buildings. I'm pretty proud of how few leaks we've had." In the three years, I think uh, I think there was an issue with leaks before we got here. <laughs> I don't, maybe he didn't quite say it that way. He said they had a few more before we got here, something like that. So, 
And I do agree with that. I do think they've done a good job with that. Yeah, safe to say uh, he's right on that. They, they had a few leaks. From what I've heard, it's one individual. I wish I knew who it was because I would have no problem outing them. And the Niners know who it is. And I, from the sound of it, I don't think it's Balky. Like, I think it's one of Balky's, like, lieutenants that's – he might be on another team. Maybe he's out of the league. I don't know. I, I wish I knew who it was. But clearly bad-mouthing these guys. And I think there's some bitterness of, these guys are getting a pass. It's so shitty and everyone loves them. And John Lynch is just a walking TED Talk. And everyone's jerking off Kyle. And they suck. That's that's what it feels like. We got so much heat. Well, hey, guys. Like the Balky administration. The reason you got so much heat is because you got fucking rid of Jim. Like that's where it all stemmed from. You got rid of Jim Harbaugh, so everyone was out to get bulky. These guys starting from fresh, like, yeah, it's just it's different right now. But don't ever think, because we've seen it over and over and over again, like their love for Kyle and John is not set in perpetuity. You don't have this forever. If they have another four and twelve season, it'll be like it'll be over. I mean, the honeymoon, you could argue it, it's ending right now. Like it is officially over starting this training camp. But one thing we know for a fact is People ain't blowing them anymore if they suck this year. Now, well, they will get, like, do they have to make the playoffs? Probably not. For me, they do. But if they went 8-8, eight 9-7, and, eight, and seven, I think people, that would mean they were in a lot of big games. Unless they were, like, 4-8 and eight and they won their last four. That that would be shitty. Right. Or if they were 8-4 and four and they lost their last four. There's a context to everything. Yep. But if they were just 500 battling along and, you know, like on Christmas or whenever, that second to last week, they were basically a playoff game if they win this. They're going to hold their own destiny to get into a wild card game. I think people would be pretty fired up, right? But it's like, I, 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 the bitterness for guys, and I do understand where scouts, and the, Kyle kind of said it perfectly. Anytime you're a lower level guy in a football administration, and he used being a quality control guy, and I could say this for just being a pro scout, you work these long goddamn days, you put all this effort in, and you feel like no one's listening to you. And it pisses people off. It pisses me off. Because you're like, everyone's calling us idiots. I was on the right guy. I'm making seventy. I wasn't making 70. I was making 48 or whatever. And you're like, no one's listening to me. And the guy making $8 million is getting it wrong. But we, we could have got it right because internally we had it right. And how many quality control coaches or quarterback coaches all around the country in the NFL, college, or even high school are thinking that? So Kyle's like, I understand it, because he had been a lower-level coach. Now, Kyle jumped pretty fast, but like I, I don't think that's necessarily unnormal of scouts disagreeing like with who they pick. Like, I did not want this player. Yeah. Like, that's that to me happens everywhere. You don't think that happens in New England. Just you would never. The difference is, I would say in New England, is no one has the fucking stones to ever let that leak out. Because they will find you, and you will be gone. Like, it happens at most other franchises, right? I would say the one place that it consistently has not happened, any disconnect for any assistant coach or scout in New England. But people in the business go, yeah, all the scouts in New England are miserable. uh, Here's an excerpt, John, from uh, Ty Dunn's article. Lynch is a walking TED Talk, but these 49ers could always free fall in the other direction. Regardless of whether there's friction between Lynch and Shanahan, no one can deny three years' worth of questionable moves. And through it all, the former staffer says the current scouting staff is feeling increasingly 
marginalized, where Lynch sees synergy, others see imbalance. With Shanahan wielding so much control, coaches are far, far more empowered on draft day. As the staffer put it, it's literally the scouts' jobs to study prospects two years at a time, so to, quote, see your work not valued as highly is demoralizing. Voices are being heard. It's just not the right voices. And then he goes through, like, the Solomon Thomas, the Joe Williams, the C.J. Beathard. These were uh, Akello Witherspoon, Kadavius Street. He now, and to his credit, he later says, hey, but there's also George Kittle, right? There's also Fred Warner. There's also Mike McGlinchey. Like, it's not like every pick. I mean, they have, they've whiffed the Reuben Foster, obviously. They, the guy was mad that they brought Reuben in to, like, like John Lynch let Reuben come in and watch some film one time or be in a discussion. That bugged him. Well, that guy's like, this is not normal protocol. Yeah, man. It's not that big of a deal. That's what I thought, too. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but. I, I think the one thing Kyle hit on is anytime there's change, people get uncomfortable. And remember when Gruden showed up, people were pissed, all the scouts. And then he eventually kicked them all out of the meeting. Now, if you look at their staff, they kept a lot of hold. Like, a lot of people made it and survived. But, yeah, part of the reason I think these coaches and even a new GM go, I was brought here because you guys were fucking it up. And this is where I think the scouts get pissed. I wasn't fucking it up. I was on the right guys. No one was listening to me. That's, That's the story of John Middlecoff's scouting career. Like, Chip, you're a fucking moron. Who are you drafting? And you know what? I've been proven right. Uh, luckily, I was able to find a new career thanks to Haberman. But I, I, I do feel for scouts or a little less quality control guys because they make pretty. But there are a lot of scouts in the league, you know, probably under 35 years old, not working long-ass hours for little pay relative to, like, the people they're working with. Like, it's not often. When I was in Philly, think about this. The, really, the two people I answered to immediate answer to like I was like they're basically their secretary I guess different than a secretary I mean they had secretaries but like their right hand guy to do little projects and stuff one guy's making 1.5 million and the head coach making like eight that's most if you just walk into like Wells Fargo or whatever I'm the you know the youngest guy on the staff at Wells Fargo the person I'm answering to is probably middle management or something right it's a guy making a couple hundred grand but it's not quote unquote like the CEO of the operation right like I answered to Howie and I answered to Andy where if you go into the Kyle's, if you work for the Niners, you answer to Kyle and John. So it's just the dynamics of money, to me, play a big role in football bitterness. That and you know, the other part in that article, right, John, was they're just the, the John Lynch, John Elway, like the fact that those guys got to become GMs when everyone else has been grinding for a career, that bot, that's just like a fundamental thing that didn't, bothers some people. Didn't he quote one guy? That said, like, I've been doing all this. We've been working 15 years, and John Lynch gets the job, and I don't. And I'm like, yeah, two things. He said, it's hard to I, see some guy walk right in and take that job that I've been working a decade and a half for. It's like, well, what's the point? That was the point. On one hand, you understand where the guy's coming sure. from, right? Like, I, I, I get it. And on the other hand, you go, well, it's a pretty unique situation. Like, it's not like John Lynch. This isn't, like, Farhan Zaidi, the equivalent of a guy just working like on the stock trader. The owner thinks he's good at analytics or something, hires John Lynch. I mean, John Lynch is a borderline Hall of Famer, Stanford guy, a football guy, who also had sneaky kind of been training for it, right, with John Elway. Now, does he should he become the GM immediately? But at the end of the day, John Lynch more than likely is not going to be a roving pro scout. He's just going to start higher than most. Like, welcome to life. 
And for the most part, I and I told you this when I was scouting, and I feel this even more now. I, I, I'd the first people I'd hire Stanford people. You meet them, they're just higher level, and you've been around them now. You're like you even come, you came around, right? Mostly, yeah. There are some that I'm like, uh, it's a little extra, it's a little strong. I, I, I I'm not saying it's a hundred percent you're going to hit on everyone. I'm just saying if every person you ever hired, when Haberman Middlecoff or a 200 person employee uh, based podcast business. If our 200 employees were all uh, graduates of Stanford University, wouldn't you say we'd probably be in pretty good shape? Um, just the numbers, you'd have a couple bad apples and people that don't live up. But more than likely, we'd have a couple home runs. Yeah. That if all my employees were Cal Poly based, they just want to they just want to know when the happy hour was and when it was time to party. That I I get it. I, I feel there's more. The bitterness is less about the time put in, and it's more like John Lynch making four million dollars. And I'm grinding, and I'm making. Let's even say I'm making a hundred. But I, I feel like I'm looking at my evals. I'm looking at his evals. I just know more. And I say there's more to the job. John Lynch was John. The Niners are paying John Lynch for like probably three of that four million dollars. They feel good about is the PR, which they desperately needed at the time of his hire, because at their operation, yeah, like he's not being pay- like Kyle is actually the one being paid to pick the play. Like truly, John's role involves exact being the face of the franchise to a degree. I was on with our buddy Greg Papa and John Lynch. I was texting with Papa the other John day. Lund. I said, "Yeah, yeah, John, John Lund. We're gonna have Papa on the podcast." I said, "We will meet him in Danville, have a live podcast while we have some cocktails." Mm-hmm. His choosing of any bar in Danville mm-hmm. just as we get ready for the night. He said he's in. Great. And uh, he was asking like what I thought if the league had become more coach centric in terms of picking the players. Then it had GM centric because I say historically, for the most part, it was the GMs pick the players, coaches coach the team, right? And I think, like I said, yeah, I mean the the major change in the league, I think the last ten years has been the amount of money coaches make. So who usually has the most power? The guy who makes the most goddamn money because you're like, yeah, I'm gonna listen to this guy. I'm paying him seven and a half million dollars, even if I have a GM like Joe Douglas, who. The Jets fired their GM knowing they only wanted Joe Douglas. And then Joe Douglas kind of was like, yeah, I'm a little unsure. He had him by the balls. Yeah. You know he ended up getting like $3.6 million a year? He's one of the highest paid GMs. One of the reasons he got so much money is because what were they going to do? Not hire Joe Douglas? Like he knew they had to hire him. And he got a six-year deal. But even in that contract, which is pretty crazy for a first-time GM, to get that, it's just that's just a lot of money for a GM in general historically in the NFL. He's probably a top five paid GM right now. He still makes less than Adam Gase. You know, that's just the nature of the economics of the league. Coaches make more. Our buddy Tannenbaum, who's making big cash with the Dolphins, was probably making three or four million dollars working for for Ross. He still made less than Adam Gase. Like the coaches always, the head coach is always going to be the guy. For the most part, making the most money in the building when it in terms of your GM, your coach, and all everyone under their umbrella. Now there are going to be some people like your. I mean, you might have a couple coordinators. There are some teams, guy, that their coordinators make more than their general manager. Think about that. No. So when you're arguing in a in a draft room, like we want this guy on offense, if the owner's sitting there, just just showed up at draft meetings for shits and giggles because he got nothing else to do. Don't you think his mind might be like, I kind of like my offensive coordinator. I'm paying him all this money because they're just business people. They just look at the sheet. So usually you listen to, it's easy to be like, you know what in our offices, 
we let everyone talk. We let every idea flow, which is true. And I think healthy organizations do that. But it's, when you and I did a radio show, at the end of the day, we were going to lean with a topic that me and you were picking over the producer or over a board op if someone like threw us a topic. Now we kind of have a monopoly on the topics because <laughs> it's just me and you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I... I I, well, I can I see the, where scouts get really bitter with like every dynamic with coaches. Different. That's the summary. The what? Every dynamic is different. Just because something is the way it works most places doesn't mean. And it's not like, by the way, it's not like John Lynch is getting like some disproportionate credit. Like he's gotten a lot of flack for the picks they've missed I, on. I think the thing that makes people more bitter in an NFL office is less really about John Lynch because I would imagine. I know a couple of scouts of the Niners and never even asked them about this because I just assume they really like them. They all get along. I think it, I think where it hurts you, I love coach Reed, but there were times when I just couldn't disagree more with the player we signed than the player we could have signed. I think it's more with scouts and coaches where these guys go, I'm a fucking, I know what I'm looking at. I'm good at this. And the coach is picking these guys. And then we suck on Sunday and we're just getting, and we didn't need to do this. Because some of the examples in there I did think had some validity. Like, we went through our draft process. Joe Williams was off the board. And then remember what happened? Kyle was like, God, I kind of like this guy. And Bobby Turner was like, God, I kind of like this guy. And they put him back on the board. Well, what happened? Now, I, I'm not losing that much sleep over a fourth-round pick, but that that's a bad process. You know the healthiest thing I, I've heard that the best teams of my friends that work for do? And we didn't do this when I was there in Philly, and they do now. That in Philly, we never locked our grades in. So once the off season would start, yeah. the game started, you know, a guy could go from like a third rounder to a first rounder fast, or vice versa. That's like the AJ Jenkins type. Wait, 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 like, wait. God, you're I- saying after you've already drafted him? No. So after the after the college football season, by about right before you go to the Senior Bowl, your final grade on the player is in. So before the process starts of Senior Bowl combine, if you think that guy's a second round player or a starter or whatever, however your grading system works. Is set in stone. Now you can write a new report based on the off-season information, but that isn't your draft grade. So you don't get in positions where a Joe Williams, you're like, we have this guy off the board. You don't then put him back on the board. Like that's impossible in a lot of systems. Gotcha. Because like, listen, everyone's told us this guy quit. He's not worth it. If you want a but Kyle, if you really want him as undrafted free agent, we'll pay him the most signing bonus we possibly can. We'll do something like that. But we are not using a draft pick on a player that with all of our information as a scouting department, we spent our entire year on the road, beating the bushes, talking to coaches while you were in here getting ready for Aaron Donald. We know this guy like the back of our hand. And just because you like a couple of his clips on the team or on uh, the seventh week against Arizona, now you want him? No. And that's how stuff like that doesn't happen. So maybe, and I would imagine the Niners, like we've really honed in our process but that's the that's the type of process where coaches get involved, where you have major mistakes. And again, you'd be like, middle cop, you're just pro scout. Well, yeah, I am because I, I think the good operations don't let the coaches override them. And I'm Belichick's an outlier. He just runs the entire operation. Because the, the I I think the Joe Williams, which was used in that article, right. is a very good example. Is a good example. Yeah, yeah, of something that should not happen, and it did. Um. Like, I can live with the Solomon Thomas. Like, who else, Who are they going to pick? 
Yeah, you're saying just because, like, the scouts did the work that there's no way for the coach to know. Like, getting on the phone with the player should not trump a year's worth of scouting that the scouts did and said, this guy, we don't want this guy on our team. Well, I'd go, Kyle, what do you think Joe Williams is going to tell you when you call him the morning of the third day of the draft? We're thinking about picking you. You're gonna, you, you think he's going to be like, you know what? I can tell you I'm going to turn around my life, but more than likely, guys like me, we're never going to turn around. Or is he going to, or is he going to tell you the complete opposite? Right. The what every kid tells their parents when they get in trouble. Mom, I'm well, there it is again. I'll be good. You know what that really is? Is like Kyle. He, he was going. He wanted to draft him, and he he just wanted Joe to tell him what he wanted to hear, right? But I'd even say, listen, Kyle, you love this guy. We'll use one of our seventh round flyers. No one else on is taking him. If you really like this guy, but he's probably off ninety percent of the boards. This isn't one of those. Well, the Chip Kellys of the world don't like this. This is this guy quit in the middle of the season. Wouldn't you say even the most open-minded coaches? And he wasn't like some super like he wasn't the honey badger. This guy quit in the middle of the season. I, I would imagine there's a decent chance he was off every board guy. There are certain instances in the NFL that just get you off boards. Like Joe Mixon, remember there were articles like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was off every board in the NFL. Yeah. Now he's he's a different cat because he was so good. He might he there might he might have been on five or six well, like, boards, just pure talent. Yeah, this isn't the same thing, but I know from before that draft, from when the draft happened, talking to an NBA scout that um, Kevon Looney was off a lot a lot of NBA boards because of his hip injury. Oops. That happens a lot with injuries, for sure. Because once you go to the combine and everyone gets your information and every team touches Kevon Looney or every team touches a running back, he has a degenerate knee or hip. It just... And I, I think with the loonies and the and the guys like that, where you talk yourself back into it, you go, listen, I love this guy's character. I love this guy's talent. Okay, we won't take him in the first round, but we'll, in the NFL, you'd be like, well, let's take this guy in the fifth or sixth. Like a Jay Ajayi. Because when he went to the combine, it got out like he has a degenerate knee injury. And what happened? His career is basically over right now because his knee screwed. I saw Schefter try to throw him a bone yesterday. They're like, sources say that Jay Ajayi... His knee has been completely cleared. My like, okay. Uh, what did you? What? What about the Kyle? I, like to me, the Kyle John relationship is a non-story. Complete. Like that's. I do buy that they get along fine. Do you? Yes. But I, and I think John said this well. Maybe in the article, or maybe someone texted me, and just I mean, it's just common knowledge. You win, it goes away, right? Right. It win, no one can say shit. Because again, guy, people in the NFL will tell you their friends on the Patriots are miserable. <laughs> are miserable. Now, what's not miserable is winning, but the scouting department's underpaid. They don't subscribe to any of these scouting notebooks, so they got to do a way more work than the rest of the league that gets all this information. Now, I've, I've heard Belichick steals it somehow, but it's just... You've never read an article because it... Well, Alabama's You, you, you wouldn't same. be able to take it seriously. The pro scouting department for New England is miserable. Most people would be like, of course. It's probably not fun to work for Belichick. I mean, it's like, you can't even say that. Alabama's the same deal for Saban. How he treats players? No, no, no. Or, I mean, coaches, coaches are just like, so ha- oh, I had to get out of there. Like, okay, well, I hope you got what you needed because while you were there, you guys were winning. 
And you know what I think Saban would say? Every single one of them gets what they need. Yeah. Well, that's what. Yeah, they all get hired. They all get promoted by and large. And they get a head job. Yeah. I mean, there's a few like, um, what's the guy's name? Tosh Lupoy, right? Who got demoted as the DC, as the D-line coach in Cleveland. Uh, let's check in with Tosh in uh, six months and see if he's happy he did it. I bet he is. So that's fine. Tell, but- me, tell me what happened. With, oh, you're saying the Tosh left out. Do you know what I've always heard about Nick, though? That's a good example. Did you see Nick made some comments? For the most part, By the way, part, I've, you heard, noticed, I've heard I mean, Tosh is very happy with his decision. You were a Pac-12 guy. Yeah. Or, I mean, you were at the Pac-12 media guy a day. And I think most media days, for the most part, coaches are upbeat, you know, getting ready for the season. I was watching Yam, hat they had on Chris Peterson. Mm-hmm. And he was just in a really good yeah. mood. Did you talk to him? Yeah, and, and I asked him some questions that I thought he might dismiss, and he was really direct. Yeah, just most of these guys were in really good moods. The one negative thing I saw, it just shows you the standard the Tiger, or I mean, I said Tiger, he's on the... I just saw that too. <laughs> uh, that Saban has is, because they got blown out in the national championship, he's like, you know, we had a lot of coaches that kind of one foot out the door mentality. Right. Was Tosh gone last year or he just left this well, year? Well, he was. He got demoted from D.C. before they reached the postseason. I'm not sure if he was actually still in the building by the time. I don't know that. I don't know the answer. So the one thing I've heard with Nick, he ain't going to fire you because he, that's a blemish on his resume. He hired the wrong guy. He calls Jimmy Sexton and he said, he did this with Lane, even though you're dead to him and you're not welcome back on the staff and he's replacing you, you get another job because he will not take that blemish. That's what I appreciate about the greatness of Saban. I am not firing Tosh Lupoy. So Tosh telling everyone, Tosh was not welcome back. Like, they were moving on. And it's happened with countless coaches. Yeah, but that, not, one's, like, that one was clear, I think, even to everybody on the outside. Like, you're saying there are ones where somebody gets a promotion to another job that is better on paper, and everyone applauds it, and it's like Nick got him the job. But I'd even, because, I'd even argue that, like— because, You're saying Nick will get you a job because—he'll get you a better job because he doesn't want you around. Like, that's rare. Yeah, but, but I'd, even, I'd even say that Tosh—it's not that unnormal to leave as a defensive coordinator— to go be a D-line coach because D-line coach may pay seven hundred grand. Like it's not that crazy. I hear what you're saying, but like I but, think but, Lane's yeah, a good what example. I, what I'm saying though is he had been. I guess it's like Lane though. He'd been demoted before the season was over. Lane had also. That was also kind of the Lane situation too. I I think him and Lane's situations parallel each other. Now Lane became a coach at just a university. I think that most coaches would be like, I'm not going to be a head coach of Florida Atlantic. Where the D line coach is a little more understandable, like yeah, it'll be the D line coach from Miles Garrett and the Cle- Cleveland Browns. Yes, that's actually a sneaky kind of big job. Like that's something to keep an eye on. Because I've always is Tosh a good coach. I know he's a great recruiter. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get sixteen ounce packs of flavorful Angus ninety percent lean ground sirloin for four ninety nine each with a digital coupon. Then buy two get two free on twelve packs of delicious Coca Cola, Pepsi, or Seven Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.